we've been doing a series of studying on fulfilling God's purpose for your life. What we've done so far is to, first of all, establish the fact that God has a plan. God has a purpose for each one of us. Amen. Every person sitting here, you're not an accident. You're not an accident waiting to happen. You're God's dream waiting to be fulfilled. Amen. Let me repeat it. You don't seem convinced. You're not an accident waiting to happen. You're God's dream waiting to be fulfilled. Amen. God has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life. God has places He wants you to go. He's got people He wants you to meet. He's got lives He wants you to touch. And He's got things He wants you to do. Amen. There is no higher purpose, no better satisfaction, no greater adventure than to live, to fulfill the purpose of God for your life. This is the highest. This is the best. Amen. This is life. Living to fulfill God's purpose for your life. God has a plan, a purpose for your life. And uh, the next thing we started talking about is this. He said, you know, if God has a plan for my life, if God has a plan for your life, uh, that's good, but it's not good enough because now I need to find out what it is. If I'm going to fulfill it. I need to find out what is God's plan, what is God's purpose for my life. So the question is, how do we go about discovering God's plan, recognizing God's plan and purpose for our lives? How do we do that? And so we began by talking about nine different things. Uh, they're listed down on page 12. If you turn with me to page 12. There are nine guideposts or signposts, if you will, or indicators that at different times in, in our life, God will use to communicate, to clarify His plan, His purpose for our lives. The nine things are listed there on page 12. You need to recognize the gentle teaching and instruction of God's Word. Recognize the seeds in your life. Recognize the stirring in your heart. Recognize the grace of God given to you. And recognize the leading of God's Holy Spirit. We covered these five until uh, this point. We're going to address the next two this morning. Recognize their circumstances and recognize godly counsel and wisdom. So if you'll flip over to page 23, we're going to talk about recognizing the circumstances. So very often God leads us and God guides us into the things He has planned and prepared for us by orchestrating circumstances, by setting up the circumstances and situations of our life. Either by closing a door, opening up a door, creating an opportunity, getting somebody to pull you in a certain way, getting somebody to push you in a certain way, whatever. So many things. God orchestrates these things around us in order to guide us into what He has for us. Now, a little later on, we're going to talk about the fact that sometimes circumstances can also be caused by the devil. Or sometimes circumstances can result because of our own choices, our own wrongdoing. We're going to address that also. But we want to first focus on the fact that God's hand is at work in the circumstances, in the situations of our lives. In 2 Chronicles, the 16th chapter, the 9th verse, the Bible says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. You know, so God's eye is scanning the whole world. 
He's looking for people whose heart is devoted to him, whose heart is loyal to him. And God says, if your heart is committed to me, I'm going to exert my strength on your behalf. And one of the areas in which God exerts his strength on your behalf is in the circumstances, in the situations of your life. God's hand is at work in the circumstances and situations of your life. The Bible tells us in Psalm 37, verses 23 and 24, the steps of a good man, a righteous man, are ordered by the Lord. And he delights in his way. God delights in your way, in the way of a good man, a righteous man. Though he fall, he will not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. The steps of a righteous person are ordered by God. Somehow, in a way that we cannot necessarily fully explain, God's hand is ordering your steps. He is ordering your steps. And you as a believer, you as a person who is committed to living righteousness, you can have this guarantee, this assurance, this confidence in your heart that my steps are being ordered by God. Amen? You say, how does God do it? I don't know necessarily how He does it, but the Bible says He does it, so I believe it. Somehow, through the circumstances, through the situations of life, through the influence that's coming around you, God is able to make sure that you put the step and put your steps in the place He wants you to put it in so that He can guide you in the way He wants you to go. The steps of a good man are ordered. By the Lord. And even it's a fact that we might make mistakes, but the Bible says, even if he falls, he will not be utterly cast down. It's not the end of everything. Yes, we make mistakes. Sometimes we make some wrong choices. But even when we fall, we will not be utterly cast down. It's not the end of everything. God's hand is at work. One of the ways God orders our steps is by orchestrating the circumstances of life. Now, You know, for example, you're about to make a decision and you face a closed door. So it doesn't necessarily mean God does, it doesn't mean that God doesn't want you to progress. It simply means there's a better way to do it. There's another door that He wants you to walk through so that you can advance. God is orchestrating things in your life. Or maybe you're in your heart, you know, you're in your job, you're at a particular position in your job. And uh, and you've been doing it for 25 years and saying, God, I know this job inside out, backside Forwards. I can do it when I'm asleep. I can do it when I'm awake. God, I need a promotion. I need, I need something bigger, God. I need something I can, I can, I, I, that can challenge me, that can interest me. And in your heart, you're saying, God, I need a promotion. I need to go up. I'm tired of doing the same routine thing. So you, you, you're, you're, you're crying out to God in your heart. And next thing you know, you, you show up in your work. And your boss calls you and says, hey, you know, one of these guys from there said, there's an opportunity opening, opening up here. Would you be interested in this? I said, oh, it's an answer to prayer. God, is it really you? And you're wondering, is it really God? And But the challenge is this. The boss also says, but it means you've got to work two hours extra every day. It means you've got to carry more responsibility. It means if you fail, you might get fired. So now you're scared. What do I do? 
I'm tired of what I'm doing. I want to go up. But then there are more responsibilities if I have to go up. And there's a greater challenge there. But uh, if, you know, th- there, are some, there are some things there that I need to consider. Now, God has orchestrated things for you in, and created an opportunity for you, to, for you to step up. But if you're afraid, but you've got to respond. And if you're afraid, you may not step in to what God is orchestrating for your life. The point is this, God will orchestrate the circumstances, God will open doors, but please, you've got to walk through the door. Amen? God is not going to come and give you a lift. You have to walk through the door. If you're fearful and you stay where you are, sorry, you're going to miss out on something good that God is orchestrating for your life. And then you get stuck there for the next 25 years. You say, I wonder what God, the lesson God is teaching me. <laughs> the lesson came and meant you never learned it. See, and many, sometimes many Christians are like that. They, they're praying, saying, God, give me something better. God orchestrated, but that something better comes at a price. Nothing comes free. Amen? You want something better? There's a price to it. There's something better comes at a price, but we're afraid to step in because we're, you know, there's some element of fear or something. God is at work in your life, but sometimes we're afraid to step in. God orders circumstances and events in our lives that are in, in our lives that are in line with His plan and purpose for us. God is positioning people, places, and things to help you walk in His way. Now I heard one man of God say this. He said, when God wants to bless you, He sends people to you. When God wants to protect you, He takes people away from you. Amen? And God wants to bless you, He sends people in. The Bible says, give and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. Shall who? Shall men give into your bosom. See, when God wants to bless you, He sends people into your life to bless you. Because the giving of God sometimes comes through the people around you. Sometimes when God wants to protect you, He takes people out of your life to protect you. So God is working there. He's positioning people, places, and things to help you walk. But you and I need to discern the circumstances and respond. You know, sometimes we Christians are under the impression that, hey, if God is in it, it's got to be easy. It's got, got to be like, it's got to be sweet. Only then that's God. Not necessarily. Sometimes the circumstances that God orchestrates in our lives are sometimes challenging. You know, you've got to crush the grape if you want the juice. Amen? So sometimes the circumstances of life are like that. They crush you a little bit. They, 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 they're, they're challenging. They're tough. They're hard. Uh, but they have lasting value. So we should get rid of this notion that everything God does for me is going to make life so easy for me. No, 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 no. Sometimes God does things in you that stretch you a bit. But only then you can, He can increase your capacity. If He doesn't stretch you, He can't increase your capacity. You know, many of us want to give birth, but we don't want our, our stomach to expand. <laughs> or whatever that is. You know. Amy's correcting me. She's the doctor. <laughs> Your womb to expand. <laughs> whatever. 
We say, God, I want to give birth to a wonderful work. He says, okay, but I got to stretch you a little bit. But no, God, I want it all nice. I want it easy. I want to give birth. Sorry, it doesn't happen that way. You want to give birth, you've got to be willing to allow God to stretch you. I don't know, but I think the doctors say that your womb expands about 800 times when you're pregnant. 800 times. It's original size. I may be wrong. If I'm wrong, just understand I'm not a doctor. So. <laughs> but you can check it out. <laughs> so God has to stretch you if you want to give birth to a work of God on the earth. Amen? You want all easy? Oh, I'll just relax. And, and then, God, I want to give birth to a powerful work. Sorry, it doesn't work that way. Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 11 says this, and, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he for our prophet, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So the Bible makes it so clear that God chastens us. What does it mean to chasten? To chasten simply means to lovingly correct as a father corrects his child. Because it says, God chastens us the way a father would chasten his son. Over in verse 7, if you and your chastening, God deals with you as with sons. So those of us who are parents, you know, we know how we have trained our kids or we train our kids. Now, you love them, but you still discipline them. You know, Joe, Ruthie does something, they say, Ruthie, don't do it. Say, no, don't do it. Very strong, very stern. Other times you hug and kiss and all that stuff. But when Ruthie does something wrong, say, Ruthie, no, I told you not to do it. So we do that. Now if Ruthie still doesn't pay attention to it, then we apply the board of education on the seat of learning. <laughs> we have a bamboo cane at home. That's the board of education. The seat of learning has been designed by God. It's connected to the cerebellum and cerebrum. It's the shortest path, the quickest route to impart training. So we use that. So you mean you spank your kids? Of course. The Bible tells you to do it. Amen? The Bible says that the the rod of correction drives out foolishness out of the heart of a child. If you fail to use the rod of correction, you're encouraging foolishness in the heart of your children. So please learn to use the rod of correction. Amen? Getting back to our subject. So God deals. How does God work? So God chastens 
us the way a father deals, uh, the, the parent deals with the children. So he corrects. How? Through his word. In the morning you wake up, you're reading the word, and the word comes so strong to you, tells you what's right, what's wrong. God's dealing with his chastening. Secondly, he corrects us by his spirit. There's inside you, there's a, there's, a, there's a work of the Holy Spirit saying, man, don't do that. That's wrong. The Spirit of God is carrying the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. Brings about the correction of God into our lives. Thirdly, he uses people around us to speak the wisdom of God to us and tell us what's right and what's wrong. The correction of God comes to us. The chastening of God comes to us. And fourthly, God orchestrates the circumstances around us to correct us. If Ruthie doesn't obey, we say, Ruthie, no watching TV for two days. Go and watch your favorite program. Discipline. Correction. Orchestrate the circumstance. Or Joshua, you know, no watching, whatever, for two more days. Discipline. Or something. We alter the circumstance. Why? As a way of correcting. But I can tell you, I do not administer smallpox to correct my children. <laughs> Amen? Meaning, if I want to correct Joshua and Ruth, I do not make them sick. So I'm putting that point in just to make it clear to us, sickness is not a form of divine chastening. There's no human father who would make his son or daughter sick with some sickness to teach them discipline. Amen? Let me ask you, how many fathers here would put smallpox, sickenpox, cold, cough, fever on your kids to teach them some lesson? No earthly father would do it. You think you're better than God? The Bible says God's better than you and me. If you fathers being evil, how much more will your heavenly father? If you and I as human fathers know not to put sickness on our kids to teach them a lesson, I can tell you God's a little better than you and me. He will definitely not put sickness on you and me to teach us a lesson. Amen? Amen. So, getting back to our point here. That was just a little thing there to make sure in case you have a theology that says God gives sickness to chasten me, I can tell you, I can prove it to you from here, it's wrong. Because God chastens you the same way your earthly father chastens the children and no earthly father puts chicken pox or any kind of sickness on their kids to chasten them. Amen? The first thing an earthly father does for their children when they're sick is take them to the doctor. Get them well. God's better than you. Amen? So the point is this, God chastens us, He lovingly corrects us, and one of the ways He would do that is to the circumstances of life, discipline, ordering the circumstances of life to bring us into line with what He wants for us. Now, we must also understand that while we firmly believe that God is at work in the circumstances of our life, some of, our, some of the circumstances we face are the result of our own wrong choices. Are the result of our own wrong choices. Sometimes we make a wrong choice and then we get into trouble and it's, a, it's, it's not because God has done it, it's because we chose that. A great example, you read about it here in Deuteronomy, the 8th chapter, verses 1 to 10, which is about the people of Israel. You know, God had brought them to the wilderness of Paran. It was just on their way, out, of, out from Egypt, through the Red Sea, into the wilderness of Paran. They were there, Numbers, the 13th chapter. God said, choose 12 spies, send them into the land of Canaan, the land I want to give you. Let them search the land, let them come back and give you a report. Get ready, go into the land of promise. But these 12 spies went into the land of Canaan, they searched, they came back, and they brought a report. Ten of them said, no, we cannot go into it because there are giants there. Two of them said, let's go up and take it. And 
What was God's will for them? God's will was they go right up into the land of promise and take it. But because of their unbelief, Numbers the 14th chapter 25th verse, God said, turn into the wilderness. You're going to spend next 40 years in the wilderness. It was not God's intent, but it was an outcome of their act of unbelief, their disobedience to God. 40 years in the wilderness. That was not God's original plan. God's original plan was from the wilderness of Paran straight into the land of Canaan. That was God's plan. But because of their unbelief, they walked in the wilderness 40 years until that generation passed away. But here in Deuteronomy 8, verses 1 to 10, you find out that even while they were walking through the wilderness for 40 years, God took care of them. He says He led them through the wilderness. He fed them with manna from heaven. He brought water out of a rock. He sent KFC in the form of quails for them. He he just did wonderful things for them. He took care of them. He made sure that that the shoes, that the clothes from Egypt didn't wear away. He made sure the Reebok shoes lasted them the longer times until they walked through the wilderness. Whatever, I'm just making it a little lighter so that you'll all stay awake. (laughs) He made sure that while they went to the wilderness, he took care of them. Was it his plan for them to walk 40 years in the wilderness? Absolutely not. But did he take care of them while they were doing it? Absolutely yes. So while we make certain choices that cause us to, you know, go through some rough times in life, walk to the wilderness, etc., etc., if we will keep our heart open to God, He will still take care of us, and He will still bring us out into the land of promise. Amen? We need to make that clear because sometimes some of the circumstances we are facing in life is because of our wrong choices. I'm not, I'm not saying it to put you down. I'm just saying that while we understand that God is orchestrating circumstances, some of it is because of our own wrong choices. We made some choices, therefore we are there. But God will still take us through into His land of promise. Amen? The other thing we need to keep in mind is this. Sometimes it's the devil that opposes us. And as much as God works in the circumstances of our life, Satan can also do some things. When he wants to hurt you, he, sends some, he might send some people into your life to hurt you. If he wants to stop you, he might send people into your life to stop you or hinder you, whatever, distract you, take you away. And, and, and some Satan also works in the circumstances of our life, so we need to discern. Is this God working? Is it because of my own actions? Or is this the enemy? If it's God's working, I must respond, go for it, go with it. If it's a result of my own actions, if it's, if it's wrong, I need to correct myself so that the situations can be changed. If it's the devil working, I need to oppose the devil. I need to press through and fulfill the plan and purpose of God for my life. Amen? You all with me, yes or no? All right. So understand the circumstances, discern the circumstances. God could guide you into his plan and purpose through the circumstances of life. Another way, it's number seven, page 25, number seven. Another way that God really guides us and speaks to us is through godly counsel. You know, counsel is advice or instruction or sharing of knowledge given to you. Counsel is not a command. When somebody counsels you, they're not commanding you. They're not giving you the 11th commandment. Godly counsel is counsel given to you by a man or woman who has a deep, strong, firm, tested relationship with God based on their knowledge and experiences, meaning they're just speaking to you based on their knowledge, their experience, 
uh, and they are giving you counsel. Now, here's a classic example of godly counsel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we're going to read this passage through verse 10 onwards. Now, to the married, I command, yet not I, but the Lord. So Paul is saying, I'm saying this, but this is not me saying, it's the Lord saying. What is it? A wife is not to depart from her husband. But even if she de does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. So Paul says, this is what I'm saying. I'm saying, uh, and this is not me saying it, but it's the Lord commanding it. A wife should not depart from her husband. But if she does depart, meaning there may be circumstances when a wife is separated from her husband. If the husband keeps chasing her around the house with a broom, it might be just for the sake of safety. It might be... <laughs> It might, be, it might be necessary for the wife to stay in a safe place until the broom leaves the house. Just an example, right? So there may be certain situations when she has to depart. But he says, if she departs, let her, not, let her remain unmarried or come back. Once the broom departs, you're safe to come back. Right? And be reconciled to her husband. And her husband is not to divorce his wife. Verse 12. But to the rest, I... Not the Lord, say. So now, this is Paul speaking, not the Lord speaking. I, not the Lord, say. So this is godly counsel. If any brother has a wife who does not believe, and she's willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. So let's say the situation, they were, uh, there was a husband and wife, they, never, they were not saved, they were just, you know, they were not believers. Then the husband came to know the Lord. Now he is saved, now he is a believer. So he has a wife who doesn't believe, but he is a believer. Now he says, if the wife who does not believe is willing to stay with you, don't shake, don't disturb that marriage. Or the other way. Let's say there were a husband and wife who didn't know the Lord. The wife came to know the Lord. The wife becomes a believer. Now, if your husband is willing to stay with you, then don't separate. Continue. Don't disturb that marriage. That's what he's saying. But he's saying, I say, not the Lord. Meaning, this is my counsel on this matter. And then he continues. Verse 25. Now concerning virgins, that means those unmarried, I have no commandment from the Lord. Meaning God hasn't told me anything about this. Yet, I give judgment. Meaning, I'm giving you some advice. As one whom the Lord in His mercy has made trustworthy. So what I'm about to say, it's not what the Lord is saying. It's something that I'm saying. But I'm saying it because I am confident to give you this kind of advice or give you this kind of counsel because I believe that I'm somebody whom God has trusted uh, with this responsibility. I, God has counted me trustworthy. So I'm giving you this advice. Counsel. This is godly counsel. What does he say? Verse 26. I suppose, therefore, that this is good because of the present distress, that it is good for a man not to, uh, for a man to remain as he is. All bachelors, are, this, are you listening? So you won't come back to all people's church now. <laughs> no. Let's read on. 
Are you bound to a vie? Do not seek to be loosed. All married people. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But even if you do marry, you have not sinned. And of a virgin Mary, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, meaning you've got things to do in the flesh, responsibilities and so on, but I would spare you. What I want to point out in this passage is this, that in verse 10 he says, I command yet not I, but the Lord, meaning this is the Lord's command. But then in verse 12 and again in verse 25, he says, I am saying not the Lord. I give judgment, not the Lord. Meaning, this is godly counsel. I am speaking because I am confident that this is the heart of God. I am confident that God trusts me to give you this advice. That is godly counsel. Are you understanding? Did you understand that? Yes? So that this is godly counsel. Meaning, a man of God is speaking based on... Out of their walk with God, out of their knowledge of the heart of God, out of their understanding the ways of God, they're giving you, saying, I'm giving you judgment. This is what I'm saying, based on what I know God would do. And I, I know that God has found me trustworthy, so I can give you this kind of advice. So this is godly counsel. Now, counsel is so important. There are several scriptures in the book of Proverbs that teach us the value of receiving counsel. Proverbs 5, 25, 23 says, He shall die for lack of instruction. And in the greatness of his folly, he will go astray. So for a lack of instruction, a man could end up in, in, in bad shape. Proverbs 10, 17. He who keeps instruction is in the way of life, but he, he who refuses correction goes astray. Proverbs eleven fourteen, Where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs 15, 22. Without counsel, plans go astray. But in the multitude of counselors, they're established. Proverbs 20 and verse 18, plans are established by counsel, by wise counsel wage war. Proverbs 24 verse 6, for by wise counsel you will wage your own war. And in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. So God can use the counsel of godly people to direct you into the plans and purposes that he has for you. You and I must learn to be humble enough. You and I must be humble enough to receive godly counsel into our lives. Amen. Well, the case of Jethro and Moses is, is a classic example over there in Exodus, the 18th chapter. Moses is leading this huge nation of people out of Israel, out of Egypt into Israel. They're walking through the wilderness, and on the way, along the way, they need a lot of, you know, uh, they need a lot of care. So what happens? From morning, Moses wakes up at four o'clock in the morning, and then from four, four ten, he starts judging the people. You know, here comes two two guys. They say he stole my manna. So why did you steal his manna? I was hungry. I didn't collect enough. All right. Make sure you collect enough manna tomorrow. All right. Next. He stole my quails. Why did you steal his quails? I collected only two. I wanted one more. So I took one. All right. Make sure you collect three tomorrow. Okay. Next. What happened? He, he came close to my tent. Why did you? And so from morning till evening, he's sitting and trying to resolve the conflicts of people. And here his father-in-law, Jethro, comes by. And he sees Moses doing this from morning till evening, day after day after day. And Jethro comes and says, Moses, listen, man. What you're doing is crazy. You're going to drop dead one of these days. I'm going to give you some advice. Why don't you find leaders out of all these people? Appoint some leaders. Let the people go to these leaders if they have any problem they want to resolve. Any big issue which these leaders can't solve, let them bring those issues and only those let them bring to you. 
And Moses, your responsibility is just this. You pray to God for the people and you come and teach the people the word of God. You'll keep yourself alive long. And Moses takes his father-in-law's advice. He says, man, at least one good thing you did. <laughs> and he takes his... <laughs> Please erase that, all right? <laughs> you know, the nice thing is this. We can go back and edit the audio recording. So <laughs> Before we make the CD and the tape. All right. So... So Moses, Moses says, you know, I take that advice. And he appoints leaders, and he lives a long life, and he's able to take care. So Moses didn't turn around and say, hey, what do you, what do you think, Jethro, you're doing? I've got the rod of God in my hand. Watch out. You know, I'm the one who was called by God. I'm the one of God who's doing miracles. Who are you to give me counsel? He didn't say that. He wasn't arrogant. He wasn't proud uh, to receive counsel from Jethro, his father-in-law. He received counsel. And it really helped him uh, lead the people of God. So you and I must learn to receive counsel. And I can I remember in my own life many different times, points in my life, where godly counsel really helped me. One of the earliest points in my own life was when as soon as I finished my 10th standard, my dad is here, so he'll tell you what I'm saying is true. I'm not making up a testimony. <laughs> I, and when I finished my 10th standard, I was so fixed on going to Bible college. I just felt I must go to Bible college. Every chapter I read was telling me, go to Bible college. I mean, I've read about the people of Israel crossing the Red Sea and going to the promised land. I said, man, God's going to open up the Red Sea for me to go to Bible college. And uh, I was applying for Bible college, but no no Bible college wanted me. Why? Because I I had to finish 12th. I'd only finished my 10th. But I was so fixed. I knew God had called me to go to Bible college. So I gave my parents a lot of trouble. I'm going to go to Bible college. I'm not going to go to 11th and 12th. I have to go to Bible college. Get a lot of trouble. My dad did this. He took me, you know, that time he was going to the Methodist church. So he took me, first he took me to Dr. Theodore Williams. And um, I remember going into the office with, uh, with my father. And my father explained the situation. Oh, this guy wants to go to Bible college. Can you please give him some advice? So Dr. Williams looked at me and he said, you know, the Lord Jesus waited 30 years <laughs> to start his ministry. Why are you in such a hurry? <laughs> I said, okay, that makes a little sense. Then he took me to one more person, you know. He took me to Dr. Nanamuthu. Now, Dr. Thomas Nanamuthu was sitting in there, RTMC was sitting there. Now, he had never heard what Dr. Theodore Williams had mentioned. So when Dr. Thomas Nanamuthu, we sat down there, says, you know, my dad explained the problem. You know, he, this guy wants to go to Bible college, just finished his 10th standard. He doesn't want to study anymore. What is something wrong? Could you please advise him? Dr. Thomas, Thomas Dr. Nanamuthu says, you know, Jesus waited 30 years. <laughs> God, what is happening? Both these people are saying the same thing. Jesus waited 30 years. They didn't talk to each other. They I said, you know, maybe God is telling me something. And so I agreed to go on and do my 11th and 12th. And God did something to my 11th and 12th, changed my perspective, my understanding of things, and helped me move on. But, you know, that, that, that counsel that came, really helped push me in the right direction, even though I didn't want to go that way. And I was so emotionally worked up about this that anything I read in the Bible just said, go to Bible college. So I needed the counsel of some experienced men of God to help me see past my emotion and see real life. And uh, and so many of us need that. 
We need uh, the counsel of people to help us, you know, just get past all our emotions and other things that we are so caught up with. We may be very spiritual people, you know, those days I used to read and pray the Bible for three to four hours every day. And yet, I was so caught up in this thing, I have to go to Bible college. I was reading the Bible and praying three to four hours every morning. So, it was not that I wasn't having a strong walk with God. It's just that I was so emotionally wrapped up in this thing that I needed some, some people from outside to talk to me and tell me what's right. So there are, so there are times in our life that we need that. You know, um, there are three kinds of counsel that we can give. Let's get ready to close. There are three kinds of counsel. There is counsel that people can give you based on their own experience, their own knowledge, their own skill. We need that. There is counsel that people can give you from the word of God. And there is counsel that people can give you through prophetic inspiration. Meaning they hear from God, they see or perceive a word from God and they give that to you as a counsel. The first two have to be evaluated. If somebody is speaking to you based on their own personal knowledge and experience, you have to evaluate it. You know, the Bible, so you've got to be careful whom you receive counsel from. A counsel based on a person's own knowledge and experience. Be careful whom you receive counsel from. When you want counsel, please don't go to somebody who always says yes to you. Amen? Go to somebody who will be willing to tell you, look at you in the face and say you're wrong. The mistake all of many of us young people make is you go to your, you know, you go to that friend who always says yes. Hey, what do you think about that guy? You know, you think he's good? <laughs> you never go to your mom and dad, do you? See, the first person you need to go to use your mom and dad. Oh, my mom. She'll flip, man. What are you telling me? Go to my mom. Yeah, because you go to your friend, they're going to say, yes, man, he's the best guy. See, they want to reduce one bad guy out of their crowd. <laughs> Send them to you. No, it's okay. So you've got to be careful whom you receive counsel from. Now, if you've got a problem in your stomach, don't go to the auto mechanic. The auto mechanic fixes cars. If you've got a problem in your stomach, you go to the doctor. But you know, many Christians make this mistake. They go to the wrong person to get counsel. Let's, for example, let's say you're in business. Uh, I'd say, just an example, you started a business, you have a business partner, you and your business partner aren't going on well, too well. Go to somebody who knows something about business. Amen? Don't go to a marriage counselor. The marriage counselor is going to say, See, the Bible says what God has joined together. <laughs> Let no man put asunder. That may not be the right business advice for your situation. Amen? But Christians keep on making this mistake. They go to a marriage counselor to get advice for their business. Why? Oh, he's a holy man of God. He is a holy man of God, but he knows zero about business. So why go to him to ask about your business? If you want advice for your business, go to somebody who knows something about business. Amen? Same thing. You want advice about money? Don't come to your pastor. He's not a CPA. If you want to learn how to manage your money, 
please go to somebody like a chartered accountant who knows all the income tax rules and tells you what to do, etc., etc., etc. Go to him. Don't come to me. Now, I, if you come to me, I will tell you. First thing, Malachi 3, 9. Are you giving your tithes? <laughs> That's what I will do. Let's start with the word of God. Is your tithe going to your local church? No. All right. Start doing that. Next. <laughs> Are you supporting ministries? No. Start doing that. Third. Are you paying taxes? But I want to avoid taxes. See? You have to go to a CPA. <laughs> I mean, you've got to go to an account. You've got to go to the right person to receive right counsel. But Christians don't do that. They go to the wrong person. He gives them some sort of counsel that... Uh, He's not qualified to give or she's not qualified to give and, and they follow their counsel, they end up in trouble, they remain in trouble, they don't get out of trouble. And they're wondering, what's going wrong? In as much as you respect a, a godly man, a woman of God, if they're not qualified to give you counsel, please don't go to them about that area. Go to them about something else. I mean, if you want to know what does the Bible say about money, fine, go to your pastor, he'll give you the scripture, tell you this is what the Bible says about money. But if you want to know where to invest money, go to somebody who knows that, that stuff. Where to invest your money or what to do with your money. Amen? Some of you are getting it. Others. <laughs> so the point is this. You've got to go to the right person to get the right kind of counsel. Now, you say, well, you know, but uh, the, the, the CPA that I know, the financial advisor that I know, he's not a godly person. It's okay. Uh, he, he knows the stuff. You still get the counsel. In case he tells you to do something that's ungodly, then you reject the ungodly parts. Amen? Because Psalm 1 verse 1 says, Blessed is the man who does not, who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. So, you, you know, he's going to tell you, you know, this is how you need to manage your money. These are the taxes you must pay. This is where you can make your investments, etc., etc., etc. And then he says, and you can give a few bribes here, and you can give a few bribes. Okay, leave the bribe parts out. Take the other stuff, the good stuff. Amen? Because he knows how to manage money. But you leave the ungodly part out, but you need the advice, the other stuff that he talks to you about. You know, when you drive your car into the garage, the first question is, you don't ask, are you a believer? You ask him, do you know how to fix cars? Amen? If he happens to be a believer, good. But you don't have to be a believer to, call, to fix cars. Fix the car and come out. So the same thing here, you know, when you want to get counsel, go to the right person. So there's counsel that's based on a person's knowledge and experience. Now if somebody who gives you ungodly counsel tells you to do something that's not right, of course, you put it aside. You do only what's right. You've got to follow righteousness. And same thing about counsel based on prophetic inspiration. You know, uh, there are times when God can give you a, a prophetic counsel, meaning you hear from God, He says, this is what God is saying, wonderful, solve your problem. But you've got to understand that not everything a prophet says is prophetic. Meaning, if he sneezes, it's not a prophetic sneeze. I mean, that's how ridiculous believers are. Ooh, that was a holy sneeze. The prophet sneezed, you know. Silly. I mean, he's a classic example. In First Chronicles 17, chapter verses 1 to 5, you know, David is kind of, you know, at the end of his, towards the end of his minute, uh, life on earth, he's saying, you know, he's talking to the prophet Nathan. He says, you know, uh, Nathan, I feel in my heart, you know, I look at the tabernacle, I see it's dwelling in tents. I feel in my heart, I need to build a temple for God. 
Nathan is a prophet. Without even a twinkling or batting an eye, he turns around to David and says, whatever's in your heart, do it. Now Nathan goes home, he goes to sleep, and God doesn't allow him to sleep that night. God says, Nathan, I want you to go back and tell David he is not to build the temple. What did the prophet first say? He said, whatever's in your heart, do it. Go ahead and do it. But now comes a real genuine prophetic word. David, you're not supposed to build the temple. You can make plans for it. You can get the preparations ready. But your son Solomon is going to build the temple. So here's a classic example where not everything a prophet says is prophetic. It's not from God. But sometimes, you know, it's people think, oh, that person is a prophet or he's moving in a prophetic office or he's giving prophecy. And so he said this, therefore it's of God. Not necessarily. He could just be talking on the top of his skull. Yeah. So you've got to discern what is of God and what's not of God. Not everything that a prophet says is prophetic. You've got to understand that. So there are three types of counsel, and you've got to test counsel. You say, well, you know, how can I test counsel? Romans 14, 17 is simply this. The Bible says, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. If a counsel is producing righteousness, peace, and joy, it's of God. If it's not leading you in righteousness, not producing peace, and not bringing joy, it's not from the kingdom. It's not from the king. Amen? So test it. Is it leading you in paths of righteousness? Is it producing peace? Is it producing joy? It's of God. If it's not, leave it aside. That's how we test counsel. Amen? But the thing is, is we must all learn to receive counsel. Go to somebody who is qualified to talk to you about your circumstance, about your situation, through whom you're able to receive, whom you know can speak into your life and will give you an unbiased view of the way things are and what you should be doing. Have some people speak into your life. Amen? God could use the counsel of people to guide you into His plan and purpose. So we talked about two things, how God can guide us in fulfilling His plan and purpose. We said our circumstances. And then we said counsel, that, God, that godly people can speak into our lives. We must learn to listen. Amen? You know, not every circumstance <clears throat> that we face is easy. You know, sometimes we, we go through circumstances that are hard, but it doesn't mean uh, God is angry or God is upset with us. It just means He wants to bring out something in us. Only when you crush the grape, you get the juice out, get the good stuff out. So sometimes God puts us in challenging situations that will, that will really bring, uh, uncover some things or help us become better and help us move on the plan and purpose of God. And I remember when I, I just want to give you this example because I did it in the South Church. I want to share it with you also. When I, uh, when I went to the United, when I finished my engineering, went to the United States to do my masters. You know, I thought, wow, that was so nice. You know, everything worked out. Got the visa, got this, got that. Everything going out. The moment I went there, it, it was a really, it was a real shock. You know, stepping to the university there, uh, in the U.S. And I was studying here in, in in India, doing engineering here was, you know, it was easy. Relax, you know, I spent two hours at the gym every day, grind, participate, track and field, do a little bit of studying, pass the exam, everything cool, easy. Oh, going, going over there, it was so tough. And here I was, I had to, for the first time, I had to cook my own food, wash my own clothes, clean the own apartments, buy grocery, go to school, study, work in the lab. Tough life. All of a sudden, in 24 hours, you've got to do all these things. Not easy. I remember times when 
you know, I would, I would stay in the lab, working in the lab till like 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, and walking home. Take three hours, get three hours of sleep, get back, go to class by 8 o'clock, 8.30, be back in class. I remember walking, you know, in two, three feet of snow, walking like 2 o'clock in the morning, walking back to my room. I know over there in the U.S., the, 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 whole, the whole atmosphere is like, even if a shadow moves, you think a man is standing with a gun there. <laughs> so as I was walking dark, I said, I should be speaking the word of God. No evil shall befall me. No plague shall come down my dwelling. He'll give his angels charge over me to keep me on my ways. Just making sure in case there's somebody there with a gun, they're not going to attack me. Whatever, you know. I don't remember this. But you know, and I was not a lazy boy. I don't think I was a lazy person, you know. But this experience, if there was any laziness in me, it got it all out of me. You know, going through that university. And today I'm not afraid to work hard. I'm not afraid to work hard. I can push myself, go extra miles in working. I can be up at 1 o'clock, 3 o'clock. You know, the other day, yes, I think it was yesterday over lunch, I think a man asked, what time do you start your day? I said, you know, sometimes this is 1.30 in the morning. Sometimes it's at 3 o'clock in the morning. I start my day. I'm not afraid to work hard. Amen? So how did I develop that? Through that experience, it was not pleasant at all. But I learned the value of hard work. I learned to go beyond, you know, the, the ease and comfort and work hard for the sake of what God has in store for me. So sometimes God puts us in those things to, you know, to, to, to shape our character, to build us in the kind of people he wants us to be. So we can serve him and serve the purposes of his kingdom. Amen. So I want to encourage us, you know, don't be afraid of some tough circumstance and God's, that brings, God brings you over. You say, God, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to teach me? I remember, you know, when uh, I had to get into the African-American church. I was in, in, in New Jersey. And uh, at one particular stage, I, I couldn't go to church. I didn't have any means of transport. I just walked to the university, used the university bus. So I couldn't go to a church. There was a church nearby, and I was afraid to go to it. Because it was an African-American church. I never, never been an African-American church. And I used to always pass by inside me the heart. And I was trying to excuse myself not going to church because God, you know, I'm working with the Koreans. I, had, I was part of the Korean fellowship, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, God, that church, don't ask me to go there, you know. My dad came and visited me and he said, I want to go to an African-American church. I said, okay, there's a church. Let's go in. We walked in and said, man, talk about worship. Talk about dancing. Talk about music. Man, I thought the roof would come down, you know. The chairs would fly at some point in the service. Whoa, said, you know, one experience is enough. <laughs> one is enough. I'm satisfied with these things. I lift my hands up. I do a little clap. Now and then I do a little dance. But God, not that style, you know. That was too much for me. My dad left, and but the Holy Spirit convicted me. Go back there. And I really struggled with it for, I think, for three weeks. I said, God, I can't go back there. I'm not used to that style of worship, God. I'm charismatic, but not that much. <laughs> God, I can't go back there. No way, God. Anything else, but not that church, God. <laughs> you know, I tell you, God had to speak to my heart to go back to that church. Now, after weeks of struggling with it in my mind and all of my emotions, I went back. And kind of strange, almost the first time I went back, Pastor came and said, would you like age? God. You know, it was like, I don't know this pastor, this and they don't know me. I've just walked in like this is my second or third time and, and asked me to preach. 
And God just opened up a door of opportunity in that church. And for over a year and a year and a half or something, every Wednesday was teaching in that African-American church. And they had to get used to my style. You know, because when they preach, man, they tear the roof down. And here I was, please turn in your Bibles. <laughs> Half of them would sleep, fall asleep, and I started. I couldn't preach like them, man. They were like solid people, strong, two times my size, twice my height, whatever. Man, when they took the mic, woo, it was like the thunder. Yeah, but here I was like poor little, thin little Indian, skinny little Indian boy. <laughs> please turn in your Bible. Oh, gosh. But it was a great experience, you know, God working in And I learned through it. Learned through it. So God just orchestrating the circumstances of our life. And I remember one Sunday, one Sunday preaching in an African-American church, a Hispanic couple came and sat. Just one Sunday. That was the first and the last for them. God didn't ask them to come back. They escaped. But, <laughs> but one Sunday, they came visited. And then I was walking down the street. They stopped me and said, we heard you preach in that church. Can you come and help us preach to our people? And a door just opened to the Hispanic Spanish community. And we started working with the Spanish community, working, ministering to them. And a totally different culture, totally different kind of people. Man, man service starts at 10 o'clock. They'll show up at 10.30. <laughs> service is supposed to end at 12. They'll go on until 2.30. The anointing is still there. We'll stay here. <laughs> that was the way they did service. They came and they went until they sat. They were satisfied. They experienced God. No, nothing by the clock. We come when we can. We're going to stay here as we experience God. When God goes, we'll go. It was totally different. The way they worked and the way they, they have. And so God just, God just orchestrating circumstances in our life. And it wasn't like we went and knocked on these doors. God just opened them up, giving us an opportunity to work with these people and and minister to them, and, uh, and really uh, share. And we learned a lot in this whole process, ministering to these people. We learned a lot, changed our lives. Be open to what God is doing, how he's orchestrating things in your life, circumstances in your life. Be open to it. Be sensitive to it. Step in, God opens a door. Amen. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.